Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center podcast feed. A big show, a main show, a Jedi archives of Force Center because we're going to talk about a book. I'm excited to do it. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. And I'm Kat Napsack. I love the archive angle, sir. And we are going to dive into Queen's Peril by E.K. Johnston, the much-anticipated follow-up prequel to her uh, first take on Padme, Queen Shadow. Of course, she also wrote the uh, well-received book, Ahsoka. We are going to dive in today. The themes, the moments, the highlights, the insights, the jar jar of it all. Yes, we are. Uh, but before we do that, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash force center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP three player and as always we have a four center recommends joseph of an audiobook we think everyone else should try out on us that is right uh, because we are assuming if you are listening to this you have already read or listened to queen's peril we're going to recommend the next book we're going to talk about which is alphabet squadron colon Shadowfall by alexander freed that will be coming up soon our discussion of that so to download your free audiobook today go to audibletrial.com slash four center again that's audibletrial.com slash four center for your free audio book. I'm sure that both Ken and I are going to have a lot of thoughts on Queen's Peril. So let's dive in. This book is, is Ken was saying is a, a very interesting book. Uh, it is, as we said, Queen's Peril by E.K. Johnston is both a sequel and a prequel to the book Queen's Shadow, which is a prequel to Attack of the Clones, while Queen's Peril itself is both a prequel to and set inside the prequel film, The Phantom Menace. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, sir. <laughs> these are, I just love the fascinating relationship between these books that Queen's Shadow is this great uh, transition from being queen to senator, so kind of setting up Attack the Clones, kind of looking back on Phantom Menace, and then 
we jump back in time to becoming the queen and right into Phantom Menace. But we already know these characters from Queen's Shadow. So it does feel like both a prequel and a sequel to Queen's Shadow. Ah, absolutely. It, 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 you get to hang out with some friends, but meet them for the first time. Hey, yeah, that's a great way to say it. So in case you have not figured this out, this will be spoilers. Absolute massive uh, down to, I think, probably the last words in the book. Uh, spoilers. So if you haven't read it yet and don't want to be spoiled, go take a read or a listen. Uh, let's dive in, Ken. What were your overall big picture reactions to Queen's Peril? For me, this was fast and fun meaning you could crack this open. You kind of knew what was coming in terms of the characters, not what was going to be revealed, but you knew the characters, you knew the situation, you knew the movie this was going to go right up against and then into. So it was a fast, fun read. And for me, I just felt the joy of E.K. Johnston, not just spending time with a movie and characters she loves, but, you know, she she feels and understands the, the weight and importance of expanding their stories their roles, their impacts that mean something to her. She's talked often in, in, in her author acknowledgments on both these books. Uh, Phantom Menace, I think she said she was about 14 or 15 when she saw it. So she's right there with the queen. And it impacted her then, and that story stayed with her. And you could feel that. You can feel that there's joy in this book. And she, for me, uh, from an overall uh, perspective, she successfully changed the way I view a few of the scenes that I've lived with for well over 20 years now. Um, and I always love uh, when these Star Wars books can, can do that with something I'm all familiar, all, already familiar with. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I really loved Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril just made me want to reread Queen's Shadow. And I think a big part of it is that E.K. Johnston clearly had this, uh, what I often call tip of the iceberg storytelling moment of seeing Phantom Menace in going, oh, those, the Queen's life in The Handmaidens, that's a really interesting idea. I'd love to explore more. There, that What there is, is up there on screen is fascinating. And what's the whole story behind that? And I think getting that passion of just wanting to spend more time with those characters in that world and develop it more absolutely come through in both these books. And I am just loving uh, spending time with the handmaidens. And then, like you said, when you rewatch the movie, enjoying the scenes with the handmaidens even more uh, than, than I used to. Mm. And I've always enjoyed them, but yeah. uh, you know, much, much more, more iceberg as it were. Um, I think another part of my overall reaction is I really loved it. I agree with everything you said. I mean, this is a high, high compliment. In some ways, this is one of the weirdest Star Wars books I've ever read. Yeah. Uh, because we, you go on such a strange roller coaster of, we knew these characters a little later in their lives, the handmaidens, uh, but now we're meeting them at the beginning of their journey becoming handmaidens at uh, Padme's beginning of her adventure of being queen. We're going really kind of step by step following their adventures and we can feel the the um, the inevitable pull of the events of Phantom Menace and you have that weird thing of like, I know where's, where your life is going, but you don't. And then as readers, when we hit it, we we see all these characters we're spending time with kind of shattered where we're only seeing bits and pieces of their uh, lives and perception through the events of Phantom Menace. Mm. And even for uh, us who, who make this podcast, and I think of a lot of our listeners who are really uh, deep down the rabbit hole of Star Wars, you have to know the Phantom Menace really quite well or you wouldn't know what was happening for a part of this book and that's not a criticism i think it's just kind of a a fascinating example of a book that's really for people who 
know the Phantom Men as well. Yeah, and I think that's one of the benefits of Star Wars publishing, right? I mean, you can get uh, you can you can spend time in these well shadows and and uh, pleasant shadows, if you will, of these movies. But yeah, there's even times I, I upon completing the book, I made some notes and then uh, immediately put on the Phantom Menace to have fun rewatching it, but also to be like, all right. All right, that was that outfit, right? I remember that correctly. All right, which hand? And I was counting. I was counting handmaidens. I've never done. I've never counted handmaidens <laughs> before. Like, all right, ooh, all five are there. All right, they, that mean. Oh, that means Padme's. You know, uh, so there's a lot of fun stuff. But yeah, it, it it does play on. Got to have some knowledge of what came before. Which again, I think in publishing you can do a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I should say I think you absolutely can understand what's going on emotionally with Padme mm -hmm. and the uh, handmaidens and what's at stake for them. It's just nowhere near as rich if you don't realize like, oh, this one little sentence uh, has a ton of weight because mm -hmm. it means this event has just happened, it, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, one of my other big overall reactions is I just, uh, this is there in Queen's Shadow. I, I think it is in some ways even uh, deeper in uh, Queen's Peril. I just love this picture of Padme and the Handmaidens are heroes that belong in this heightened world of Star Wars. They are uh, accomplished, brilliant badasses, uh, but they are also teenage women with all the, you know, doubts and fears and desires and conflicts and experiences that teenage women uh, really have. And I just, uh, I really like that in the books. And I like that general push in Star Wars where, you know, to take it to The Last Jedi... Luke Skywalker can be a myth to be looked up to. And he can also be a middle-aged man who's sad because he made a really bad mistake and he hurt the people he loves, you know, and he, he let his nephew down and he let his sister down, you know, and to see that very, very specifically applied to the handmaidens in Padme, this, these fascinating characters who are, well, in order to be bodyguards and rulers at, you know, 12, 14, 15, of course you would be amazing, accomplished people, but you'd still be people and you'd still struggle with all these kind of people issues. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because even though this, this and this book perhaps more than any other source of Star Wars media expands the roles, the purpose, the legacy, the history of the handmaidens as we knew them. But even then you grew up for a while, you know, saying, Oh, hand, you know, her, her handmaidens are pretty cool. They're, they're bodyguards or assassins, whatever you can form this kind of narrative. Right. But to break it down and take it to the beginning and you got like a, a 12 year old, <laughs> 13 year old, 14 year old. And there's a, this could also book could be titled, uh, you know, Captain Panaka and, uh, the, uh, the teenage handmaiden club. And it could be a sitcom. <laughs> like I'm just <laughs> Panaka coming in going, what did you do? It read like that, and I mean that in the best way possible. It was a lot, it was a lot of fun for me. But what that highlighted is what you're talking about. I love some of the sequences where Padme was just that uh, a young, uh, confused person finding her way in the galaxy with now the weight of the world on her shoulders. Some of the stuff with Sabe, some of the just love stuff, discovery stuff. Um, uh, Sasha uh, uh, becoming a woman, <laughs> and then one of the scenes that I was reading it, going, Panaka, what did you do? Did you not think about this? We'll talk about that, I'm sure. All of that really, really worked for me. Uh, and I'm probably more the Panaka in the story, right? <laughs> Versus someone else reading the story and experiencing it in a, in a different level from a different perspective than I would have. So uh, it, it, that stuff was really effective to, to your point, Joseph. Like, yeah, the handmaidens are all that stuff. Cool bodyguards that serve a great purpose, but they're also behind those heroes are these people who had to build up 
to that? And how did they do that? And did they want to? Lessons of, of loss and sacrifice. It worked. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you're saying is, is to me, what I really love of the uh, finding the universal and the specific. Uh, I, I am not, nor have I ever been a teenage woman. And there's, you know, some of those experiences uh, that are unique in this book really uh, does spend some time on them. But in doing that, it just gets to such a great human place that I think anybody can relate to of being challenged by you have all of these goals and, and you want to put a certain face on for the world and accomplish all these things for the world, but you still are falling in love. You're still challenged by your own body. You're still mm. frustrated by wondering whether your friend actually likes you and all these just really great human things. And it's, it's what really draws me to these books. Absolutely. Absolutely. So other big picture thing that I really liked and we will spend plenty of time on is just, it's a big part of the book, the insights into the other Phantom Menace characters. Uh, we'll spend a, a ton of time on that because that is great. Uh, but for now, let's uh, let's dive in. Let's uh, let's do a little bit of a handmaiden roll call. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about which handmaidens uh, spoke to us as characters and why. Uh, so I, I wrote down uh, some of the information that we learn about them. So uh, any thoughts before I dive into that, Ken? Uh, no, I'd love to. I ha- no, go 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 into the roll call, and I have some. I have my choices. I love this. Excellent. Handmaiden roll call. So uh, Sabe is, uh, so all of these characters have their little uh, interstitial chapters where we uh, have them meeting Panaka and a little bit of them sort of uh, crossing wits, uh, motions, tactics with Panaka as he tries to recruit them to be handmaidens and bodyguards. And Sabe is the first and her uh, attribute that is listed is strength. And Sabe is a musician uh, but also a scholar who is used to always coming in second. She's a great physical uh, match for uh, Padme, which is why uh, Panaka goes to her first. And then uh, second, we have Rabe. Rabe is, her attribute is cunning, and she is portrayed as a talented and versatile artist who can do lots of different things, uh, but also uh, maybe a little bit of a iconoclast, a little bit of a, a, a bad girl. Uh, she is forced to uh, drop out of some of her artistic and scholarly pursuits for selling forged art, <laughs> which I really, really love. Uh, then we meet uh, Irte, uh, and her attribute is distraction. Uh, she is the more scientist and engineer type. Uh, she is uh, a fun thing about her is she is one of the characters who is unsure about giving up her name. She is blonde, so she is not as much of a direct match uh, for Padme. This is also, of course, a screen accurate to Phantom Menace. And we're introduced to her in a story where she builds a pod for a problematic opera about human gungan conflict. <laughs> and then is, which is a great detail, and then is upset because she tells the actors you can't stand on it that way, and it falls apart. And as an actor who has stood on a thing in a way I'm not supposed to, I felt uh, empathy and uh, uh, guilt uh, reading her taste story. Uh, next up, we have Yane. Yane's attribute is bravery. She is a seamstress and a general maker, a designer. Uh, she is a young master weaver artist. Uh, she makes blankets of her own design and makes her own yarn and gives it to Theed Hospital because she's that big of a helper. She has an instinct to help and give. And then finally, uh, Sache. Sache's attribute is determination, and she is the youngest. She is 12. Um, she is physically a little bit younger, smaller, uh, feels unseen, but is super, super observant. She is not cast in the play that Erte was involved with, and she specifically tricks Panaka 
into giving her the job and Panaka realizes after the fact, oh, she tricked me into offering her the job <laughs> because she's that observant. So that's a, a quick rundown of who the handmaidens are. Ken, which ones of them speak to you and why? Um, I... You 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 nailed the description on on Rabe. I don't know if she necessarily speaks to me, but she she kind of became my favorite handmaiden because she's she's uh, she's Angelina Jolie in every movie around this time of the Phantom Menace. Even though uh, uh, you know she wasn't in the movie, obviously, but uh, this is like girl interrupted. She's like in the back of the class, like I'll teach you how to pick a lock. I got you. I'll get us out of here. And I just, I, I just, I just loved it. I just really loved. Um, and again, a lot of this builds on what we uh, learned or, or picked up on a Queen Shadow. But to, to see the beginning, to see what you're talking about, just yeah, I sold, uh, I sold uh, fake art. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Uh, I like that. I really like that. Um, but I, for me, it is uh, Sabe as a number two. I can kind of uh, identify with the, especially at a certain point in my career of not being picked or not quite getting over the, the hump into uh, success or perceived success or being second fiddle to uh, bigger parts, uh, being a smaller part of a bigger show or so all those kind of things I can feel it. And, 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 and to have it that turned into a strength and something that she, she grows to accept um, and make it part of her identity. I, I liked it. it. It works. And she's, she's the second one, right? She's kind of the lead handmaiden for lack of a better term on my part. Uh, so I, I just, I, I want more Sabe storytelling. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but I, I, I connected with her. It worked on, on a lot of levels for me. Uh, well, I'm going to say one of our catchphrases. Well said. Uh, I agree. I think I was curious if you would gravitate towards Sabe as well. I think it is a power of how well that story is. I think you could probably, um, interview some of the most successful humans ever alive. And they would say they relate to the story of being second best, mm. um, and it's such a great story that this is a circumstance where she is the absolute best at being second best. And it's exactly what's needed uh, for this particular job, for this particular relationship. Uh, that was really, really moving. Um, yes. And in such a great introduction that all of these uh, young women are incredibly accomplished. And sometimes the thing that they're really good at, like Erte being a great engineer and designer is just like, okay, great. Well, I will, you know, work on, you know, Im improving some of your tech and Yane being a seamstress, like I'll work on some of your, or seamstress, I'll work on some of your outfits. Some of it's straightforward. Mm. And then others get to have that great thing of like what you think is a flaw might actually be a strength. Um, and we get that with Sabe and Rabe and, and Sache up to a point, I think. Uh, but Sabe really, really spoke to me that idea of, I think, I think maybe it's the power that, um, because sometimes things in life are, well, you have to be first, you know, mm -hmm. if you come in second for an election, you, <laughs> you didn't win anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, so there, I think because of, there's a lot of that in our society, I think a lot of us can relate to, but being second best is still a huge accomplishment and there's still value in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, and it builds really, really well into um, the you know in, infamous uh, sh that one's a decoy moment in the Phantom Menace. It, it builds up to that to uh, this this even even a bit of self loathing of uh, I'm always second best becomes needed in this moment that kind of helps save a lot of things. It's important to the events of Battle of Naboo, and 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 it just it, it was weaved in very well to this character's uh, person. 
Yeah, I agree. A defining moment of Phantom Menace becoming even more powerful there. So I like that they all have descriptors of the, you know, their their attributes, strength, cunning, distraction, bravery, determination. If you were a handmaiden, Ken, uh, do you have an idea of what you were, your attribute would be? I have a lot of notes on this episode. I, I'm, I have a blank spot on this one. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I am a I am a steady and quiet but reliable presence in life. So, whatever that could be, I'd be the oak. Okay, would be my name. And um, <laughs> uh, you know, you need me to drive the queen over at uh, two a.m. to get to a meeting. Like I'll, I'll wake up. I'll do it. I'll do it. Don't worry about it. I got it. Um, I'll, I'll take care of that. Uh, okay. Know, we'll take care of it. Used to be my, as, as a supervisor and director of security, that would, that would be my thing. But like, we got this, don't worry about it. It used to be, that was my catchphrase back then. So, um, yeah. Okay. The handmaiden of support. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think support or uh, reliability are great. I also like that you would use your descriptor. Like you're a, a good wine. Like oh, he, he's okie. Yeah. <laughs> It's a solid oaky yeah. flavor. He's right there, but no, I think that's a I think that's a great description of uh, just right there uh, being there for someone. Um, I'm going to go with enthusiasm. I hadn't. Mm. I knew I was going to ask you this, but I purposely did not think about it ahead of time um, because even though I know that I um, wrestle with all my feelings and I have a lot of negativity and a lot of dark side in me, mm. I really do want to be encouraging to other people and to try to help other people you know, feel good about themselves and their pursuit in life. And uh, it, it, it's, it is a big part of what other people have reflected back to me. So I think if I was going to take on the role of handmaiden, I would say I am going to be enthusiasm. So <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, Ken can uh, pick you up and uh, drive you over here and I'll give you a pep talk. And there you go. <laughs> between the two of us, uh, we'll do our little, our little bit weekend to help. Is that your, is right. that your name? Is, is it okay? And enthuse? <laughs> I think enthuse. Yeah. <laughs> good with that. Enthuse really has a lot of suggestions about good shows to watch on Disney plus. Jeez. <laughs> calm down. Enthuse. Uh, okay. And enthuse. Anyway, we are going to move on and we're going to talk about some big themes as we always do. That's kind of how we process, I think, a lot of the big picture stuff. So let's dive into themes. Uh, Mm. One of the big themes for me was this conflict between duty and personal happiness. It's a theme that comes up with a lot in Star Wars. It's really represented a lot in both uh, Padme and Leia. Uh, But I felt like it was really here with all the handmaidens making their choice uh, to give up their public identities in some ways and to give up their names and Sabe really wrestles with that. Uh, we even get moments of Panaka wrestling with that with uh, even Palpatine. So do um, you get the, the point where many story beats for Panaka just kind of wants to be done for a day and enjoy a meal with his wife, Mariak, and then has to get called away to duty. Um, we get that Palpatine is moving all these chess pieces around because that's what he has to do. But, his real face, he just wants to unleash his hate. Uh, There's even that line early on of no one ever saw his true face, the pure anger that burned in him. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love this sort of connection between all of these characters having very different perspectives, very different agendas, but all struggling with, I need to put on my public face and how long can I wear my public face before it damages the real me? Mm. Yeah. um, 
first, as, as a former director of security who was on call 24 hours a day, Korsh Panaka, I feel you, man. I feel you. <laughs> I get you. Uh, no, this is, this is you mentioned it uh, earlier, but it's directly confronted with Iratama not wanting to be Irate. It's saying I, that's the name I wanted to, to, to make famous. And just there, there it is on that level, and and uh, that's around page seventy. Where, they, they, by the way, the meta explanation of the names all having the a eh, eh at the end to confuse um, Ken Napsok for twenty two years watching the Phantom Menace <laughs> was great. Um, that the Queen stuff all the way back in getting they go when they go into the idea of the meaning and the purpose of taking a name and and even a persona as Queen, which was uh, the, to combat this inherent I wrote it down the, combat the inherent arrogance of ruling, um, which is one of those yeah it's true from a certain point of view things to to feel like don't worry I I, I can lead you it, it can come from a great loving spot but there's still some kind of inherent like. Uh, I'm in charge. Let me let me do this here, and and to separate that—that's literally duty and personal being divided. And I was I was kind of fascinated with that real um, upfront explanation of Amidala versus Padme and what what she had to give up because there's also the uh, the great scene of after she gets elected, she's literally like putting her face into a pillow and giggling and and excited that she won, but that's that can't that that person's got to go away <laughs> and. You know, she loses that. She has to. Yeah. I just kind of really love it is uh, obviously these are themes in Star Wars about duality and Mm -hmm. masks and and duty and versus the sacrifice uh, of personal happiness. There's all sorts of different uh, visions of that. But I love that it's embedded in Naboo culture. And in some ways, Naboo is sort of being held up as, hey, if the dark side didn't keep ruining everything, this would be a pretty great place that they have it built into their culture of acknowledging, well, in order to be a leader and do a really good job, you, you do have to have some amount of ego, mm-hmm. uh, but you also have to always make sure that it, that is a selfless ego, that you are there to serve other people. Right. But we're also at the same time, totally acknowledging that you are human beings. We're not just saying, you know, wear the mask and suck up your feelings and shut up and be the mm-hmm. queen, you know, or be the handmaiden. And, and they have this great balance of where they're all, they're all in on we need to make all these sacrifices for Naboo. But at the same time, we're not lying to ourselves that we're humans who, you know, want to go to a concert, want to go see neurotransmitter affection. And, you know, it's get to see that real side, getting mm-hmm. glitter bombed and, and, you know, having their periods and Padme being put in that uh, position where, she has to turn down a kiss <laughs> yeah. from the other, uh, you know, political leader because they think she's Sabe. All those things are just so, they're so real and human. And it's not like the culture of Naboo is saying, ignore those things are bad. They're just like, you have to balance them with the public facing service oriented version of yourself. Yeah. I love that whole sequence, the concert sequence. Um, it, it, you know, it's got some cool little, canon things of ascension rifles or ascension ropes being used and you're like, oh, hey, that connects to that. Uh, it goes way beyond those canon, canon junkie tidbits. It was, for me, it was, uh, especially as as the story, you you could tell right away the pacing's picking up, like, oh, we're we're, we're not, like, the, the events of Phantom Menace aren't in the distance, they're here. And that concert becomes like this kind of almost last hurrah for whoever Padme was. Uh, not that again, not that that goes away and, and she changes, she grows and be, all these other things. But you know what I mean? Like I was like, there's so much great joy and normal struggle in that. And, and, and uh, the events are changing so rapidly that she'll never really get to do that again. You know, 
I, I, yeah. the sequence spoke to me on that level too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of different things that give it power. One of the things that it, it got me thinking about was so totally uh, separate from Anakin, not, not looking at Padme as just, you know, defining her with her relationship to Anakin, but looking at uh, Anakin's or Padme's relationship with Anakin totally from Padme's perspective that she's wrestling with all these interesting things of, yeah, I want to, you know, go, go out and be, have, have friends and go to a concert and dance (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, and all that. But I need for everybody's safety and for, my responsibility as queen, I need to kind of have this dual life. Mm. Do you think that there are elements of this story that are building to why Padme both feared and desired her relationship with Anakin, where it was a real human connection. Obviously she, she fell for him for real, but then also she kind of knew how hard a double life is. Yeah. I mean, I would say it connects directly to her was attacked at clones, the fireside scene, right? Just kind of telling Anakin like, Look, kid, this ain't going to work. <laughs> like, it's not going to trust me. Trust me. And then also something we had talked about before, and I'm not saying this is, you know, we, we discuss these themes here in our interpretations, and, and we try not to view them as facts, uh, though we have strong-held beliefs here at Force Center. But um, uh, this, this idea that part of uh, Padme's choice to, to be in this potentially problematic relationship with Anakin, to me, is also her wanting to have that, have that the night of the concert so far back or some of the events in Queen Shadow, right? There's their fly, you know, f- splash around on a pool. Like, and I, I didn't get that. I, I had to, not only did, was I elected queen and had to put on that mask and take a name, like then this war broke out in front of me and I had to do all this. And the, the yeah, there, I, I want this. And, and not saying she overlooked bad signs and it's just that kind of situation, but just that there was a moment to, for me, this might be just for me, of just Padme going, no, I, I, I'm going to allow myself to have what I consider quote unquote normal or experience this love. And and maybe that fueled it as well. That stuff kind of connects to some of the stuff I've seen or read in this book. Yeah. I think those are all really great points in particular about her uh, suddenly facing danger, like real danger. Like the whole handmaiden bodyguard system seemed like a, this might be overkill, but just in case, let's let's try this. It makes Panaka real happy. Yeah, <laughs> paranoid uh, control freak Panaka. It makes him real happy. So let's do this. But then immediately having such dire danger yeah. really connects to you know when does she change her mind in Attack the Clones? Is when they're being you know dragged out to that arena and they might die. And you know she's been through this as a queen. She's transitioned to being a senator, even though she wasn't sure about that. And and she has totally given her life to duty and responsibility and it seems like death keeps coming for her and it makes more sense to me that she gets into that moment and says well if death is always going to be around the corner just chomping at me i've resisted for a long time i'm gonna live a little bit i'm gonna let myself be padme true padme Mm -hmm. and and follow my heart Mm -hmm. yeah i think yeah that that kiss moment which still Still, still, it's a powerful moment for me. Even though some of the dialogue on screen is not my favorite, that's that. Just it is. It is that a big moment in Padme's life. It is not. It is not just this big sweeping romance. There's some trouble there, but it's 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 a little victory for her. Something she takes yeah. for herself. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Do you relate to this idea of having a dual identity in in this way? The the way it's shown, like Palpatine, is literally. Not literally. Palpatine is, you know, pretending to be somebody he isn't, but he still has this 
here's the truth is I am a, a just evil, evil Sith Lord, but I have to pretend to be this politician uh, to, you know, have this uh, face on. And, you know, Panaka's all, all about service, even though he just wants to eat his bread. <laughs> uh, do, do you relate to that idea of dual identity of there's a part of you that has to be service oriented and public facing versus this private part of yourself that can't always come out. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's not necessarily bad things, but it's just, you know, you and I are, are performers uh, by nature and, and by career and by time. I've <laughs> been doing it a long time <laughs> in various capacities. And without a doubt, there's, there's different personas and, and I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a big uh, enjoyer of an easy silence when I'm not quote unquote performing. And I include this podcast in that. Um, I'm not a evil uh, dark Lord <laughs> waiting to erupt, but uh, so it's not necessarily duality in a complete negative sense, but just you got to find and 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 there's different points of life you got to learn to merge the two. Maybe uh, give everyone in your life all parts of you, or you know, not turn off completely some public versus private persona, if if that makes sense. And and I see it a lot with 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 Padme and again going back to the relationship. So yeah, no, it rings true. It rings true beyond just Star Wars. It's one of those. Star Wars hits the real world of just um, and even even jobs or or being um, being in a, in a in a director position with employees underneath you. Yeah, you're you're playing a character whether you want to or not. And how do you put as much as your real self and your real beliefs into that? By but also still getting the job done is is something I've wrestled with before too. So I'm not a yeah. queen. I've never been a queen. Never will be a queen. I'd <laughs> like to wear some of those robes. Not, not not experiencing it, but I, I get it. I feel it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's all, all a great insight. And I think this book really helped me think through it even more of um, not just sort of extrovert, introvert of here, here's yeah. who I am when I'm big and loud and I'm at a party and here's who I am when I'm at home, but more that choice to say, I know I need these things for, you know, myself, for the real, the real true me needs X, Y, and Z. But right now I am going to selflessly answer the call of service. You know, if, if somebody needs me, um, even like, you know, a family member or a friend or I'm exhausted, but I need to be there for someone else right now to honor that, to honor that sort of a service side of yourself while also not denying your, the real private you as well. And seeing that is not a, um, dichotomy to be wrestled with, but a, just a balance, just finding the right balance so you can yeah. selflessly be there for others and still take care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to move on to our next theme and the theme, uh, that really jumped out at me, especially in the early part of the book is just the practical realities of governing and politics in star Wars. Mm. Uh, they have very different agendas, but especially early in the book, we see Padme and Palpatine just really wrestling with the nuts and bolts and wrestling with kind of some similar choices. Um, Padme attempts to reach out to all the local planets in the Chummel sector and try to bring them all together. Uh, Palpatine slash Sidious is busy maneuvering the Trade Federation into position uh, politically. Uh, both Padme and Palpatine are very accomplished politicians making these political moves. I, it's interesting to see them compared because Padme is acting selflessly for the good of the whole and Palpatine is acting selfishly to make the whole benefit him. Yeah. <laughs> but they're kind of working without uh, Padme doesn't know it. And, and actually early on Palpatine doesn't know it because he doesn't realize what an adversary Padme is going to keep being. Mm. But it's really Padme uniting those planets of the, the Chamal sector 
that forces Sidious to stop trying to get the trade deal through the Senate and just going, screw it, got to do an invasion. Mm -hmm. She's pushing on the other end of this. Uh, So I I really liked seeing all the nuts and bolts politics in from different angles. How did you feel about the amount of just political maneuvering there is in this book and, and the meaning behind it? I, I fascinated. I, I think I've discovered I am more and more just in love with this particular era of Star Wars. And I, I do mean the Phantom Menace year or two before or after, because even I love uh, Queen Shadow. The fact when that was announced of like, oh, yeah, she's not the queen anymore. She's a senator. And here's that story. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I want to hear that transition. I didn't I never focused on it. So to see Padme learn the game, play the game, be natural at the game. And I don't, I don't mean totally like game in a cynical way, but just uh, and, and, and what her, her natural instincts, she views herself early, uh, early in the book. She, what she says, she's a stoic measured option and that's what she tries to present. And that keeps in line with what we see in screen, right? That's even the voice. It's this and that. And I look, I personally kind of identify with that for better or worse. Um, you know, just like, Hey, let's just, we'll get it done. We'll deal with it. Um, but I like, I also like how Padme doesn't necessarily keep to that as she grows and goes through the clone wars, right? She should be, she's not as stoic and measured, as she grows on in life, she learns. Um, so, but to take it back to the original point, to see it play out and to see her now interconnected early on with Palpatine's story, not just because they're from the same planet, and to see that she is that rival and that adversary, and she's always, up until uh, the end of her life, going to be in his way, and even a little bit after with some of the stuff with Vader and his memories of it, right? It's always a wedge. She's, she's always there. And... Uh, to see it just play out in just simple like her going, no, we're gonna we're gonna get everyone together because the previous queen was an isolationist. That's not right. It's not what I believe in, and and it's not helpful to us. And just that simple act of 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 good politicking <laughs> forces his hand. That's just great Star Wars storytelling for me. Yeah, he's trying to get these uh, you know abusive uh, uh, trade uh, tax uh, bills through the Senate, uh, and then, yeah, she just ruins everything. It's, it's pretty great political uh, maneuvering. Uh, I am I was just fascinated by how far this era of Star Wars has come in my own mind when, in 1999, when, when uh, Phantom Menace came out and you're used to the original trilogy, just really fast-paced adventure serial, and that crawl comes on and it's like, there's a dispute about taxes. People made right. fun of that mercilessly oh, yeah. uh, because they didn't understand that that's the new kind of era of Star Wars storytelling that Lucas wanted to do, myself included, and it seemed like such a contrast to lightsabers and scoundrels and Millennium Falcons, the coolest thing ever. There's a trade dispute. And now I'm at the point, Ken, where I read a book like this and I start reading a passage about grain shortage and I get so damn excited because I'm like, (laughs) is that what they were blockading? Is that part of the problem? Is that she was going to trade grain and Palpatine doesn't want her to trade grain because it's going to screw up his Sith plan? Like, I'm so excited by it now. Ah, as you should. As you should. The idea of Lucas saying, you want to know how the the Jedi fell? Uh, One of the Republic fell? It was from within? It was through uh, politics or mistakes and these personalities? It wasn't some great threat from the outside no use on vong over here it was it was trade routes and it, <laughs> it's pretty realistic and pretty haunting how easy it can happen and uh i'm, I'm with you there with you yeah yeah i, I mean i i, I, I will say ahead. i didn't i didn't fist pump when i heard the grain thing like you did but but i, I was there <laughs> yeah. i did i did i fist pumped for grain shortage this is uh really far along on my journey 
with Star Wars and politics. I'm really enjoying the nuts and bolts of it because I think they do pull out the themes because something that used to sound boring to me, like a grain shortage, um, because it's meaningful, right? Because it is Padme learning as a ruler and it is that idea of, hey, I really think what could advance Naboo is to reach out and ask our neighbors what they want and, and have a a bigger tent rather than being isolated yeah. it's like suddenly politics don't aren't boring when that's that's literally you know starts to be an analogy of the difference between the light side and the dark side of the force yeah mm. yeah uh so we're going to move on to another big theme the last of our three themes we're looking at and this is one that uh comes up a lot in star wars and uh, i was kind of struggling with how to phrase it but i really think it is uh, a theme of destiny versus choice for me in the first half of the book, the characters are on this collision course with the events of the Phantom Menace, uh, and then we get to see how they choose to respond. So I think especially us as readers going, oh, you guys don't know, but <laughs> here come the Nemodians. Uh, those forges are starting and those battle droids are being made on Geonosis. Right. Gives it this sense of destiny, like that these characters are the handmaidens and Padme and Panaka are making all these choices, and we know... Oh, some of those choices are going to be taken away from you and you're just going to have to respond to what destiny brings you. Uh, yeah. So I kind of saw the first half of the book is destiny, uh, all the reality of Phantom Menace bearing down. And then the back half of the book is, is seeing the choices of how Padme and the Handmaidens choose to respond to it. That's a great way to look at it because as the, the superstar superhero team of Handmaidens is being formed and there's just a lot of... Uh, E.K. Johnston, again, has seemed to have a lot of fun just going, all right, hey, here's how they came up with this system and this and that. And the blasters got put in the throne, and there's a lot of fun little things like that. But to see them, uh, to see that as it's happening, you're watching it, you know, again, Korsh Pranaka and the Handmaidens, this great sitcom. And the little, I, I really thought the little interstitials, the little interludes were really effective. You mentioned the Forge one. It's just that's all you needed to see. It, there's a, a, a large order for <laughs> battle droids has been placed. <laughs> and it is, it is what's on the horizon, right? And so when you get there, I, I Sashay being captured and, and, you know, we knew from Queen Shadow, she had scars or something big. So to see that actually play out and to see her even admit to herself in the moment, I, I, I kind of want to break and, 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 and give the information that they're trying to get out of me, but I can't and I won't. Again, destiny has led her to that spot. It's her choice to 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 get through that. Padme, you you and I have talked often. One of the best Padme scenes is her in Phantom Menace. Like Senator, this is your arena. I'm going back, and that is Destiny taking to that choice. She could have stayed there. She could have done that. And I love again. I love. I think I think she defeats Palpatine for a second in that moment, and he does what he does. And yep, yep, yep. It's good that you're gone. Get on out of here. Oh, but please stay. I love that. But it, so to your point, yeah, it it's on a smaller level uh, with these handmaidens in her racing towards the events. And, and it, it it's a very, again, Star Wars story. It's the, it's a hero's journey for the handmaidens and, and Padme indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And all that, those Phantom Menace interstitials we'll talk about, and then it oh, catches yeah. up uh, to the movie. But how much, how much do you feel the movie is celebrating the Phantom Menace uh, versus, you know, uh, either explaining things you listed a bunch of great examples of, of kind of little beats that were, you got the backstory on. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, did it feel more like a celebration of Phantom Menace in uh, explainer for a couple things or, or were there moments uh, that you felt it was explaining too much? How did you feel about that? I, I, I think overall 
uh, overall, I enjoyed what, what uh, was done here. Um, meaning you and I have talked going back to, gosh, when I'm trying to remember when the, the first time it was really big was uh, um, uh, Aftermath and Singer, uh, who a character I love. But I always call it the uh, the singer around the tree situation where, right. hey, Gump. Re- yeah, Return <laughs> of the Jedi, uh, Singer had his uh, rifle bearing down on Leia. And you can either get behind that uh, it was around the, the story, around the tree the whole time aspect of storytelling uh, or not. And sometimes it works really well. And sometimes it lines up really well with what I'm thinking. And I think overall, this book really did that. Uh, I, the CO, CO Bibble death toll thing, I think you and I are, uh, are in agreement of like, okay, that's, I don't know if, I don't know if I, I would have gone that direction. It's not my direction to go into, but it is what it is. And it's tied to the handmaidens and their codes and everything like that, which is, is, is a victory for the handmaidens. So I think overall this is a big celebration of a movie that affected an author, and and there are some some moments of explaining that uh, she had fun explaining, and I, I I'm on board with it, all of it, um, but that's that weird expectation thing you you and I always talk about. Yeah, yeah. Sense. What were you ex- were you ex- what were you expecting? I I just think uh, the death toll is catastrophic is a is a trap line, right? It's played. It's played in the movie as you know he's being forced to say it, and and he is, and and it's also now it's now it's a code. I I don't want it. I don't want to take it to take away what I do believe is actually some bad things going on there, and I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I want to clarify that, um, but I just kind of wanted that to stand up on its own for a little bit. But it, it's not a big thing. The mall. There's stuff with mall too. I love all the mall stuff. Um, I don't know if I would have had him literally planning his fight. I think he's more rage and vengeance. Filled, but he knows how to plan. He's run some criminal organizations, so that's why it's not like out of character or anything. It just was like, okay, I don't know if I would have gone that direction, but again, I'm not in that position. <laughs> I'm not skilled <laughs> enough to be in that position. Um, so to answer your big question, does it celebrate? Yeah, I absolutely think it celebrates Phantom Menace, and uh, she has fun exploring what things mean. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I, I I'm in agreement with you. I think it is just like 99 percent an absolute celebration. And then there's some moments of uh, poking fun that work for me. Um, like I think it's a uh, CO Bibble. There's a lot of poking fun at CO Bibble, which I'm all here for. Uh, <laughs> on page 134, Padme is CO Bibble just kind of blurts something out, and she sort of remarks like. For as long as he's been in politics, he is remarkably unsubtle, and that's part of his charm. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, it's a that's a fine CO Bibble zinger. But then I think there is this. Um, for me, there is a threshold, and I, I got a little nervous at different points in the book. For me, as an individual fan, uh, from my take of, I don't mind things being explained. I I really like the blasters because in the throne because it's a it's a cool thing it's one of my favorite moments in Phantom Menace I love that now we're going to discuss our new treaty and her you know uh, powerful stance I love that whole scene uh, and I like the explanation because it kind of grew out of Panaka's paranoia which is a big part of his character which is why he is susceptible to Palpatine which is why he ends up a moth which is yep. why he gets blown up you know like yep um, so I love that because it's it's richer I think so. And it's just explaining how something happened. Mm-hmm. I think the death toll is catastrophic is sometimes those moments where a meaning is changed, mm. potentially. 
uh, like, yes, because Bibble is being asked to, my interpretation is Bibble is being asked to say that by the Nemodians to try to get, uh, get them to respond and give up their location. Uh, but also it's, to me, it's always been, like, there's been an element of truth that people are really, really suffering. Um, and this adds a different flavor to it where, yep, people are still suffering, but it's a code and, uh, yeah, I think it's a thing that every fan has to wrestle with. How much do you want things to be explained versus possibly reinterpreted from the meaning that you have held? Yeah, yeah, and I think, I think the 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 brutality of the occupation eventually is is shown to be what it is. But yeah, there was. This is going to sound very odd. Um, I was worried that there was a paraphrase, and I didn't write this down, so I don't want to mess up. Uh, E.K. Johnson's words, but just like, uh, eh, you know, it's not good. They're in the tent with the shared bathroom and there's a food shortage. It's not good. But then there's like three people are killed or something. And I had this weird reaction where I was like, okay, whew, it is as bad as I thought. <laughs> I think part of that is, uh, for, for me, uh, it's one of the things I absolutely loved about Queen Shadow that you mm. you see how deeply the battle of Naboo in the, in the invasion, the occupation affected everybody with uh, Sasha's scars and how they kind of revere Qui-Gon as a noble hero who gave his life and that they right. really did lose a lot of people. And I think I had that moment where I was afraid like that idea that is implied by the movie confirmed by uh, Queen Shadow was going to be taken away by Queen's Peril. And it was a weird thing of like, come yeah. on, I need some Naboo people to die. <laughs> yes. No, I know we're, we're in the same boat. I, I, maybe it's because uh, I'll admit it's, it's been a talking point, right? When we're discussing things where we're just like, no, no, it actually was really bad. It wasn't just processing at camp four, which by the way, it's great to see camp four in action here. Uh, so to speak, but yeah, so I, you are in, you and I are in the same boat where, where that, um, and I don't, I don't want to take away anything from the handmaidens and their system and their codes. And, uh, I love the explanation of your highness and what that meant. All that's, such uh, interesting stuff to me in this book. And again, the victory for the handmaidens and coming up with all this, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 oddly enough, I went to that too, where we're in the same boat of like, please don't make it seem like it's not as brutal. <laughs> it's just a weird thing to <laughs> yeah, be in. And I, yeah. And I agree with you. I love them having handmaidens having code and I oh, love yeah. making sure that they have uh, agency throughout the story um, and that all stuff is great. And it's probably a tribute to how much you and I both like this book, that it is uh, one line <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that we we're both wrestling with from a very specific point of view. Yeah, no, I, and to the mall point, like to the, to, to the mall point, it, it it's, um, there's so much good stuff with mall. And we will talk about when I think you and I loved a, an earlier moment with them all a lot, but, um, yeah, it was just like, Oh, okay. He went around planning the fight and trying to, so he basically outwitted them, but, or did he, maybe they knew, you know, there's some, there's some, discussion points to have from there but um i, I you know it's just like oh i don't know i don't know I, I to me maul would have been in the corner just going i'm gonna kick some ass gonna kick some ass gonna kick some ass but that's just me <laughs> yeah no i get it i get it I, I i i think i can accept the tactic of i am trying to separate them um right. yeah i think that that line where maul is looking down the generator shaft and he thinks like well maybe i should go check out where that comes out nah like I was that line in, in other contexts might have been too much for me of yeah. too much wink at like, we know he's going to fall down there and it's not mm -hmm. going to be great. Um, but there was something about it that was just so the dark side of kind of not preparing for even the possibility of failure. <laughs> right. And, and knowing that how much 
how much pain he's going to experience, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to set up for that somehow, somehow worked for me. Yeah. Um, so we, we sort of segued into some things that we weren't sure about in the book. So let's wrap up that uh, part of the conversation. Is there anything else that you questioned or wrestled with? Um, the, this is, um, probably has nothing uh, to do with the decision by the author. It's probably something to do with what she was allowed to get into, uh, and all those kind of things. So I say this, this is so positively negative. I was so into this story and so into her writing and grasp on the handmaidens, Padme, Panaka, all these characters, Palpatine, by the way, E.K. Johnson wrote some of the most compelling Palpatine stuff in this book for me. Loved Absolutely. It. Loved it. Loved it. I was so when when I was so into the her her perspective. And again, I love Queen Shadow too. So on page about page one ninety two, the Phantom Menace begins. I had not done a page count, but you do that thing like, all right, how long am I I gotta I, how many days do I have to read this book before we review it? Okay, I look at the page number, uh, two seventy six. I looked down and was like, Oh, cool, we're in the Phantom Menace. I went, Oh, it's page one ninety two. We don't got a lot of time left. <laughs> and I was actually bummed that the pacing picked up and that I couldn't give 200 more pages of Padme's perception on every second of the movie, <laughs> if that makes sense. Or yeah. even some of the other ones. And so that's not a negative on the book. That, again, E.K. Johnson probably would have been like, hey, I'll, I'll write uh, I'll write a 600-page book. And then they're like, no, 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 you can't. And you can't touch that. Or you got to do this. And it's a young adult. And all this kind of business side stuff. Um but I, that's how that's how much I was into it. I was just like, I would love to hear a little more detail on what she thought of the pod race or Anakin at nine or Qui Gon Obi Wan. Like I was all in on that. Yeah, yeah, I was fascinated with that. That the choice really was, we are not going to rewrite um, or be inside a scene. Mm-hmm. Like we will pick up right at the tail end and continue forward. Mm-hmm. Um, or lead right up to a beat, you know, but that was a really fascinating choice to be like, we're never just going to squarely retell a scene and go in inside Padme's head. And yeah. it, that was really interesting. And and I, I think I'd be interested in other storytelling like this, uh, that yeah. lets you can start before the movie and then cross into, or even through the movie yeah. in this way where you're, you're still like, you feel like you're still with the characters. Um, but you're not just, revisiting beats that that you've seen before and, and look it was really effective in season seven clone wars right some of our favorite moments were those like oh god two seconds before um so when it's done right it's done and, and to me this was the it was absolutely done right and i and i think early on um around that page 192 or everything it, it's the cover and she said it, it's co bibble talking about uh communication disruption can only mean one thing invasion and it's just summarized uh, i'm actually trying to get to it of just uh oh yeah yeah it's just it, it's be, oh, you got it. Yeah, Bibble immediately declared what everyone was thinking. Invasion, invasion was nigh, and I read that and was like, "That." By the way, that's a great line. I wish he actually said that in the movie. And, uh, invasion is nigh, um, and I went, "Oh yeah, I get it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going. You're not going into the scene like like you described, Joseph. And I loved it, but I also in that moment was like, I'm kind of bummed. I'd, I'd like to know a little bit more. I could, I could, I trust E.K. Johnston to take me through that journey." Yeah, that was the moment that the dime dropped for me of like, oh, that's what we're doing. We are we are weaving in and out of the story of Phantom Menace. That line dropped of, and, and I did a little fist pump like I did for Grain, but for Invasion. <laughs> Best parts of Star Wars. Uh, my only other thing that I questioned or wrestled with, uh, and this is almost is a joke, and it's <laughs> still seal bibble related, <laughs> is 
uh, a straight up naughty swear word oh, in our yeah. Star Wars book, <laughs> the S word. Oh yeah. Uh, when the Nemodians, uh, the Trade Federation, uh, initially offer the treaty, which is, uh, of course, uh, BS, or I guess SS, uh, from Bibble's perspective, uh, Bibble says the treaty is a pile of Shaq S-word. <laughs> which Shaq's, the butt cows as I call them, I've loved them since 2002. Uh, but how did you feel? Because here's here's where I was coming from. I don't care about the one naughty word in a right. young adult book. Uh, I got no problem with that. But I think for myself, this might be the first time I've seen that earth swear word used. Yeah. And if I ran down in my mind, if somebody said, hey, eventually you're going to read the S word in a Star Wars book, which character of every Star Wars character <laughs> is going to have the honor of dropping that S bomb? Seal Bibble would not have been my first idea. <laughs> it would have clearly been Mace Windu, right? Um, look. Or Han. Han, yeah. Actually, quite frankly, Leia, especially Ooh. as you got to know Carrie Fisher more, right? As a public figure, Leia probably been a whole book that's just deleted words. Um, uh, yeah, no, well said uh, on the Bibble, the Bibble swear word. I, I, I laughed because I think I had heard, you know, uh, I, I, you know, try not to have any book spoilers going in, but I, I think I'd, I'd heard there was a swear word coming up, right? Now we go to, you know, there's been a lot of talk. It's so funny. This, this is why we're having the discussion. Uh, Poe Dameron saying big ass door. You could you could find forty nine hateful YouTube videos about, um, <laughs> which I understand by the way. I I have a weird issue with uh, Finn saying you got a boyfriend, cool boyfriend. Like I don't I just I still like it's so like a uh, delivered like it's a like it's a rom com from two thousand nineteen or something like that. You know like um, and that's just me. This is my hangup because I, I love Finn. I love his personality. Um, love his energy. But that line doesn't hit for me. But. So I was like, okay, I wonder what's going to happen. And I forgot about it. And then when it happens, I just died laughing because for it to be tied to your favorite creature in all of Star Wars, because that's what it is, <laughs> Joseph, right? The shocks, the butt cows. I was like, perfect. They, that, this is perfect. Yeah. And now I can just hear Oliver Ford Davies screaming it, which is probably why uh, E.K. Johnston made that choice. <laughs> this treaty is a pile of shark. <laughs> Uh, remarkably unsubtle for a politician yes yes love it love it uh well let's let's check in on any any big moments we liked and then we'll take a break and then dive into all of those great phantom menace interstitials uh, with the other characters so uh we've we've covered a lot by talking about the themes and overall likes but are there other big moments or ideas that you really enjoyed um yeah i a a ton where do i begin right um big moments i'll try to keep it to the big moments uh, again, all the stuff with, with Padme, I, there was something I really, Padme, but Palpatine, excuse me. Um, there's something I kind of liked about, um, I think, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm referring to your notes. I don't want to step on it. Yeah. Yeah. There's some stuff with Valorum just thinking his friend Sheev is in his corner. was <laughs> just something I just was like, oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, damn. Poor guy. Uh, there's some, yeah, there's, there's some bigger moments we can discuss. Uh, I like, there was this one little moment of, um. Uh, here it is, one page one sixty four. Uh, the the um, communication, right? Beyond just the co- codes, but just like they they have kind of like a non technical way of communicating on Naboo, and Padme just plainly says she wants to change that. And what just a simple direct way to address that Padme enjoys not enjoys like fiendish, but just like she's looking to push the old systems. 
to to change the old and and traditional ways of messaging in this particular case, which by the way have worked and would probably continue to work if not challenged, but she sees a better way and more effective way, and I want to push for that. So that tracks with the person who looks at Jar Jar and says, "Well, one ally is a good start. Gungans and I and our my people don't uh, bad history." I'm not going to let that hold me up. I'm going to make this this uh, Jar Jar Binks character an ally, and that's going to build, hopefully, to something bigger. It, it just really was one of the simple things that jumped out to me of, uh, like, that is Padme. That is Padme. Seeing something that's old um, and could use a change. Maybe it's not even broke, but she's like, we can push it, and we can grow and, 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 and make that even better. I like that. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so glad, glad that you highlighted that. Um yeah, because she's in that moment where I think it's when she is, she is being uh, Padme the the page, and she is trying to pay attention to you know these important talks that mm-hmm. are going on that uh, Sabe is you know representing the queen, and she still can't get her head past. Here's these. Here's this little you know internal communication system I should fix. Yeah, um, and it makes me think you know back to. Uh, lots of jokes that people made back in the day about, well, if she's elected, why is she a queen? And what's going on with this planet that they're, Mm. you know, did nobody else run? You know, and to me, it gets back to this great world building that what does it say uh, about a planet that says, yeah, we call it queen, but it's an election Mm. and we elect young women, Mm. um, young, brilliant women. And to me, it goes to this idea of, People, those are people who are going to have an instinct and a desire to change mm-hmm. and not be afraid of it and say, yeah, I can respect tradition, but what if there are new ideas as well? Mm. And it, it just, it really uh, makes me like the culture and ideas of Naboo even more. Well, it even ties into the, the, you know, the history of the bodyguards. There was always kind of one handmaiden for the previous queens, right? And Panaka, I love what you said. It's so true. Just kind of this natural sense of paranoia or wanting to be prepared and safe and secure. And I can respect that. I get it. And we see where that leads. That's his journey. But like, hey, he's going to form this super team. But for them, for Padme and the handmaidens, and to be like, all right, cool. How can we make this even more important? How can we make this even, and it's their kind of journey through that and setting that up and i like that and i like that it wasn't padme or, or panaka going all right everyone sit down here's your rules you're this you're that it was just like let me get this team together good idea and then padme going great good idea something old something new let's make it bigger and better and i'm going to use the help uh, of these all along she there's even at one point she she tells them all she's talking more specifically to irate just like uh, um, I got to say that. That sounds like I'm saying irritated. Uh, irritate, uh, just like, hey, no, privately, you could disagree with me. Privately, let's discuss this. That's how this is going to get bigger and better. Like, I, I really like, again, E.K. Johnson, to me, really understands this character of Padme and her, and her handmaids. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, all sorts of great stuff with uh, Panaka being obsessed with security, but also having just such respect for uh, Amidala and for Padme and for knowing like I can try to introduce this idea but she if she accepts it she will make it her own which I, yeah. I love that that is the introduction of the handmaiden said he has like well there's traditionally a handmaiden I was thinking maybe I could kind of train her up for security too since you seem like you're not going to want me hovering over your shoulder at all times mm-hmm. uh, and then she could swap out with you and then Padme's like well that won't actually work unless there are a bunch of them so just the way that the genesis of that idea is great. Yeah. 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 
What else uh, you got on your list for stuff you love? Uh, a lot of it uh, we probably ties with what we're going to be talking about uh, in the break here. But uh, um, there was, uh, oh, let me get to, uh, well, you, you know, you just kind of touched upon it here. We, we uh, I'll bring it up now. I just really liked it was seamless. And I'm focusing on about page 202, 203. This is the Padme cleans R2 scene, right? And and you you talk about old jokes or old kind of like, here's what I like about episode one. I've got this really plot hole thing that destroys the whole movie. <laughs> and it's like, hey, why is, why is there, why is she Padme? Why is she... All right, I get the decoy thing like that, that 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 makes sense for me. But why is she cleaning R2? I've had so many discussions with people going back to 99 about that. And some there's probably some times where I'm like, I don't I don't know cuz she is she's cleaning R2. <laughs> what, what, what else do you want from me? Um I thought this was just one of those talk about taking a movie and 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 answering some questions and explaining and when it works and when it doesn't. This is one of the moments of just like, yeah, cuz Sabe's like Go run around, and and so Pad Padme can be in the busier part of the ship, and get the busier busier part of the palace, and go to Tatooine, right, and see what's going on. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, that's that's a great answer that was always there, and it's probably said before by other people, uh, maybe even us here in Force Center. But you know, like I read it, and I just was like, yeah, yeah, you dummies, <laughs> that's the answer. Sorry. Yeah. No. I, yeah, it, Shaq, it's, yeah. There's. It's so great. It's so, it is, yeah, it's just the like, yeah, I need to stay close. Uh, I need to have a reason to stay in this room and not be sent off to get, you know, supplies or whatever. So I know what's going on. And there's also always been this energy to me of like, yeah, Padme's not the kind of character, Padme does whatever work is needed to accomplish her goals. Yeah. And she's not above scraping off some carbon scoring, you know? Right. It's just, it's one of the things that makes her human and empathetic. Totally, yeah. I think that's even directly uh, addre- uh, directly addressed in, in that in that chapter in that little section of just like yeah, it's Padme didn't mind. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I like that. That stood out to me. Excellent. A um, couple of mine, and uh, I'm sure they might overlap because uh, I know we both love this in Queen's Shadow. I love anything that advances the relationship between the Gungan and the Naboo. And mm-hmm. I love that there are a couple more mentions and a couple more insights. Uh, there's that mention of the last time that Queen had uh, bodyguards was a generation ago when there was a Gungan conflict. Uh, I love that that opera that uh, Erte and Sache were both working on was a slightly problematic one of, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe the Naboo being... Uh, portraying the uh, Naboo-Gungan conflict, and maybe the Gungans are not, you know, portrayed in a great light. Uh, I love the little insight that uh, Jar Jar was taught by the Gungans that the Naboo were uncivilized and had, like, dumb, bad technology and stupid buildings. (laughs) Yeah, and they're not designed pretty and everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I love that in in all the burgeoning little ideas in Padme's head of, like, well... You know, maybe that's something I'd really like to look at. We yeah. could really re-examine that relationship. It's so great. Well, I, I, um, I, I only only because I have it up because I just looked at that. It's the R2C where she kind of whispers so that Jar Jar couldn't even hear her because, again, we're in that actual movie scene of telling R2, once we're done freeing our planet with the Trade Federation, should the Queen try to make peace with the Gungans? We'll definitely remember her for that. Uh, and R2 kind of going like, yeah, yeah, that sounds a good, that's a good idea. All right, I'll add it to the list. <laughs> Just a sweet little fun moment, but it feel, it ties into that big picture that you and I have taught. We've, we, we've pounded our, our fists on the desk before of just like, Padme, this is, uh, Padme choo- choosing to use the Gungans was a... Uh, uh, probably a controversial take amongst Naboo Twitter. 
<laughs> and yeah. a bold one and an important one that we saw. Uh, you know, you and I just love that scene. We love that. We love Jar Jar's actions in that scene and his emotions and everything. And it, and it, and, it, and yeah, I love I love hearing more about it. Yeah, that great uh, Attack of the Clones scene where uh, when Padme and Anakin have landed on the refugee ship and they just walk by. It's very subtle in the background. They walk by some Gungans mm. who are you know in in the cities and and interacting with the Naboo. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, not to say anything of Representative Jar Jar. Um, uh, I wanted to be sure to touch on this, um, the opening and closing that mm-hmm. we get the very similar, uh, dialogue, not dialogue, but prose about both, uh, Padme and then at the end, Leia. And both of them start with this sentence, the girl in the white dress had her mother's brain and father's heart and a spark that was entirely her own. Uh, when I read that the first time it was like, okay, I'm going to crack open this book. I'll have to take a few notes. And I was like, damn it. First sentence. I have to put the book down and make some notes. <laughs> uh, what a great sentence to fit this Star Wars theme of the past matters and the future matters and in the present, it's all your choice. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so great to say in that first uh, introduction that Padme has her mother's uh, brain and her father's heart mm-hmm. and a spark that was her own. It's, you know, it's the same kind of idea of a thousand generations live in you, but this is your fight. Um, yeah that gives just such weight to the past, but it's not just the past that makes you, it's your own choices as well. Mm. And then to have that same sentence be applied to Leia and have that bookends that really celebrated how they did have some similarities in their life path. Mm. And even more, they had these similarities in their, their strengths that they were um, deeply emotional, caring, empathetic, people just full of love and hope, but they also knew that they had to buckle down and make sacrifices and do what's needed to be done to be a leader for any of that hope mm. to actually happen. Yeah. I'm, yes, as you're speaking, uh, I'm literally poking through Yeah. It, it, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's word for word down to a certain point where their stories diverge. And, uh, yeah, I, I, had uh, you talk about fist pumping at grain, which is uh, a great thing to do when this uh, when you go to page two seventy five and you start reading this because it is the same words. I was like, oh, is this is this a reflection? Is this Padme looking back? Um, and then when you slowly slowly realize, oh no, this is Leia. I was straight up I was straight up moved, straight up uh, emotionally affected by it and the connections and paying homage to Padme's legacy. Um, which especially for years we, we you and I've called on air before Padme a quote underrated character that's just because she probably wasn't talked about as as much for an entire decade <laughs> and um and it, it it got me it moved me and and it's so true it all it all rings true yeah yeah um my final thing that I wanted to be sure to highlight I love just this little passage about Palpatine Palpatine uh, hating Naboo for being Naboo. Mm-hmm. Um, I had always taken it in Phantom Menace of like, yeah, it's his home planet, so he can get this sympathy vote. You know, he manages to squeak the sympathy vote out. He wanted the uh, Padme to sign the treaty and for the planet to be enduring absolute horror to ensure the sympathy vote, but he squeaked it out. But for me, it was always about, yeah, it's my home world. It's a chip for the sympathy vote. It's a mm-hmm. tactic. But I love the idea that he's just looking at like Naboo. Mm. With your beautiful lakes and your constant art and your pursuit of happiness. Oh, did you go to a lake and swim and laugh? I hate you. 
<laughs> it's just, it's so accurate and so beautiful that it's not just, uh, that it's, that he is so consumed by hate, just like a, a symbol of joy and light. Like Naboo is just like, ah, oh, God, I hate that you even exist. I mean, it just, you, you know, I talk about E.K. Uh, e. Johnson just wrote some of the best Palpatine insights into who he is and who and who he is when the cameras aren't watching, by the way. Uh, the, the stuff talking about him not going to the lower levels on uh, Corson or not doing it often. Um, and, and the line here, it, it speaks to directly what you're talking about. Uh, he puts um, uh, he, he he puts the darkness to where they, the darkness, people, oh, here it is, sorry. It was far more his style to bring darkness into places where people thought they were beyond its reach. Mm. And, and, and to have that, you know, line up with his view of Naboo and all their lightness, just that bright, cheery, artsy, progressive Naboo, other than their feelings for the Gungans. Um, yeah, it's it just that, 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 the, the backstory of Palpatine, that that's a really interesting morsel yeah and it, it just really makes sense when you think of things like the the way palpatine manipulates anakin of uh that the jedi are lying that that you know all this oh you can be selfless being selfless is a lie that's just a perspective that the jedi have it's bs it's it's shack ass um <laughs> and that 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 you know extends to the dark side consumes you in such a way that you hate the concept of hope and the concept of coming together because they're lies. That's not the truth. That's not how the actual galaxy works. They're naive fools who are lying to themselves and it's disgusting, you know? Mm -hmm. And that gets it into these kind of heightened operatic ideas, but also these real world, of like, you know, when you really do lose hope in the real world mm. and you're like, Pfft don't talk to me about helping people because it doesn't work out. That's not, you know, people don't really help each other. That's just naive stuff. Yeah. We tell each other, you know, and I, to, to see Palpatine represent both that very small real world mm. cynicism yeah. and this super heightened operatic. I hate my whole planet because they like art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even though, yeah, he likes art too, as we, as we knew, but a great scene there, but yeah, he found the weak points, the cracks where the light got out and shoved the darkness in. It's so, it's just so violent, so violent of a description, shoved the darkness in. It also reminds me a little bit of what he was trying to do to Ray at the end of just any any spark of hope, any light in her soul as to what she could still be. He was just like, nope, a shroud of darkness I'm going to place over this. And uh, it's great Palpatine stuff. Yeah, yeah, Good job. absolutely. And on that dark note, we are going to take a break. Good point that he does like art, but if it's a uh, brooding and evil looking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. He only likes the dark stuff. He doesn't like the early lighter stuff. He likes their darker later albums. Um, on that note, we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk about all those great Phantom Menace interludes and insights into beloved characters. All that when we return. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. 
You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Force Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Force Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at Jennifer Landa and on TikTok as Jennifer Landa 1138 Hey, Force Center fans, don't forget, Force Center is on YouTube. Head over there to catch up with our new show, Star Wars Show and Tell. Joseph, Jennifer, Ken, and special guests sit down and share favorite items from their own Star Wars memorabilia collections. Plus, there's the In Memoriam video series, encore presentations of Databank Brawl, and special programming all there for you, and more shows on the way. It's Force Center on YouTube. Check it out. back not our decoy bodyguard handmaidens it's really us we are back to finish discussing queen's peril by ek johnston uh ken you and i both talked a lot about enjoying all those uh, both phantom menace interstitials where we got little scenes with well-known characters building up to the events of phantom menace but then also a couple little uh, nuggets once we were within the actual story of phantom menace so I wrote down a bunch of them and figured we could just stop and talk about any of the ones that really grabbed us. Does that does that work? That sounds great. Excellent. Let's do it then. Uh, uh, and I might have missed a few, so few to, feel free to jump in if there's one I missed. Uh, I liked the little passage where Valorum talked about disliking corporations having Senate representation, but that was an unpopular opinion, so he just kept his mouth shut about it. Yeah. 
Did that one speak to you? Yeah, it it's it um, it spoke to me because going back to uh, and you and I have mentioned this before, but uh, going back to the early days when you and I were were becoming friends, getting to know each other, and then working on Star Wars shows together, like you know, I I, I turned turned to to you as a person who made me look at the prequels again and a d- different light. And it was one of your statements of the Trade Federation blocking Naboo is like Amazon sending troops to Delaware. <laughs> and the moment I stopped and thought about that, I was like, oh, yeah, that doesn't sound good. That's inif- it's infinitely more intriguing than I would have thought <laughs> as terms of a story point. Right. So to have yeah. like Florum going, yeah, the senator from Amazon is it doesn't work for me. <laughs> Yeah, I just love it because it's just such a great acknowledgement because it's not, you know, there are some things as much as I absolutely adore the prequels and go on and on about them. There's some things that come across sometimes a little bit uh, heavy handed or Lucas just has a character state something very clearly so you know it. Mm. The Trade Federation, not the Nemodians, but the Trade Federation having Senate representation is one of those things I was like, damn, that's really from our, you know, perspective is the uh, 21st century Americans, not great at all. That's <laughs> what we're trying to avoid and to have that just there as a statement for, look, the Republic has already started to crumble and th- there's those cracks mm-hmm. that Palpatine is, is pouring his uh, darkness into. And it, it's just this great picture too, because we meet Valorum as who somebody who appears to be a well-intentioned leader and he can't keep up with the shenanigans of the Congress, uh, of the mm-hmm. Senate. Uh, and so that him like saying like, I have this kind of bold opinion that maybe these, you know, people whose only motivation is to make money shouldn't be making policy. Yeah. But I can't say that out loud is a, it, it fits for his character too. Yeah, no, it worked. It's, it's, um, I don't know, man, I'm sympathetic, but Fittis Florum, right? You know, that name we've definitely never forget that first name now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like even when he comes back in the Clone Wars, I think he is. There's a level of respect. There's uh, uh, people don't look at him as, as as an evil character in in story, and we certainly don't outside outside the story. But just even Palpatine's description of him in the movie of just like ah, oh, look how ineffectual this guy is. It's not untrue, but it's like outside of his outside of his uh, control. Uh, so, anyways, I don't. Yeah, I, I I like that moment too. Just paints him, and again, not in a great light. Doesn't paint him in a great light, but just like he is kind of what you were talking about earlier. That feeling of just like. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Mired in baseless yeah. And yeah. allegations. Right. Yeah. yeah baseless. And, and then that is part of the darkness that Palpatine is shoving everywhere in the galaxy. Yeah. Forcing people into inaction. He mm-hmm. sees something that he thinks is wrong and doesn't have the, uh, feels like he doesn't have the will or the support to do anything about it. Right. It's just a great little, uh, little insight. Um, this was a big one for me. Uh, spending a little bit of time on Shmi's general uh, pain and, and fear for Anakin, but then specifically Anakin having broken both legs, crashing mm-hmm. his pod racer and having them fixed. How did you feel about this one? I uh, loved it as much as you can. Uh, rooting for, uh, you're rooting <laughs> for a nine-year-old boy to break his legs. No, um, it, this made me think of the Phantom Menace novel, which begins with that race. Uh, I, I assume it's the same race here. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that. Um, uh, I love getting into anything with Shmi's point of view, experiences, and her pain, and 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 her level of suffering and duty, um, and sacrifice and duty. So I love all that stuff there, and just just the, you know, not the first time Anakin's gonna have some leg issues too. So <laughs> there's some foreshadowing <laughs> there as well. I like a lot of there. I, I've always said I'm fascinated by that opening of the novel. I understand why it wouldn't be the opening of the movie. 
Um, but I, I would, I, I just like a little bit more of that pod race, I guess. And as this kind of scratch that itch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like anything like you said with uh Shmi's perspective. I like seeing that her, I die every time Watto makes you do those races comes from like a real place of like, mm-hmm. uh, yes, we have the medicine and they'll spend it on him because Watto thinks he's valuable, but he still experienced that pain. And I still have mm-hmm. to see that. I still have to see my son's you know limbs mangled was that that hit me hard oh yeah i mean just you know ask the tyrell family bad things happen in these pod races she's aware <laughs> of that and, it, and, it, and, and there's weight to that line now in the movie that already was weight but now now it's even more and that's one of the things the book does so well yeah and i think um one of the, one of the elements of that that i like as well is i think phantom menace does a pretty good job of it is trying to be a movie that kids can watch and you, hmm. we definitely get that. Yes, uh, being owned by someone is bad, um, but I think the books can go into a little bit more of the true horrors of their situation, right? And I and I appreciate that. Hmm. Uh, speaking of horror, let's move on to Maul. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an early passage with him uh, thinking about all of his just general hatred uh, and his training and being taken by Palpatine and all that. Um, but the element that really jumped out to me is a new and interesting idea that part of his hatred for the Jedi is resenting that they didn't come find him like they do so many other force sensitives. You were, you were fist pumping at grain. I was fist pumping at Maul's rejection. (laughs) (laughs) They're both elements of the dark side. Uh, tell, Tell me more. That that's that 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 is a string that goes out uh, up into the fi- final moments of his life, and his final seconds are an um, a comforting embrace by a Jedi, right? And it's, yeah. it's a powerful story point. Uh, anyway, anyway, you slice it, pun intended. Sorry, Maul. Um, but it's powerful for Obi Wan. It's powerful for the light and dark. It's powerful for the Jedi. But for for Maul, that just makes his final seconds and it's seconds and he's still talking about vengeance and he's still yeah but for his final seconds to find comfort and peace and acceptance and forgiveness from a jedi and to trace it to this moment ooh, that's some juicy emotional canon one of our favorite things to talk about here in force center juicy <laughs> juicy juicy emotional canon it 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 um as it moved me as best as one could be moved by maul's story uh, and not separating the fact that he's, you know, a villain, so to speak, but, you know, um, a villain, a hero in his own journey, right? That's the old, the old, uh, yeah. the old trick of writing them villains. But no, that's, that, that's real. That's a real pain. And that fuels the rage and anger. And, and, and some of his past has been dealt with pretty well in other modern Star Wars media canons, that Maul book prior to the events of, of, of Phantom Menace are great too. A Maul comic, I should say. Um, so anyways, I love that. Love that. Oh, yeah, this is great stuff. Great stuff. If you're looking for emotional canon uh, that's juicy, you can find it on the juice level of Coruscant <laughs> that we discovered on our previous episode. Uh, yeah, it's just a jump of juice. <laughs> I think this is this is one of those moments where, like, I, the first second I read it, I was like, "Oh, I love that," and then I was like, "Oh, you know, one of the key moments for me of the Phantom Menace trailer way back in the day was at last we'll have we reveal ourselves. At last we'll have revenge." Uh, reveal ourselves to the Jedi at last we'll have revenge and I went into the movie thinking I'm going to learn why Maul hates the Jedi mm. and then you know I wondered is, is this is this uh, you know 
answer sort of wrestling with that a little bit. Um, and I kind of don't care because I just love it because it fits so much mm. with everything we've learned about Maul. The idea that he has been trained in this very traditional Sith way of the path to power is pain. So I am going to torture you. And a part of that psychological torture is the Jedi are these liars in these hypocrites spreading their BS through the galaxy. And they're the ones who are responsible for this, you know, not, mm. not me Palpatine. That all made sense to me. That all tracked. And I think you, you could teach, you know, a, a young impressionable night brother yeah. uh, to hate anyone. But that idea of making it so personal and, and that how conflicted that that viewpoint of the dark side is, is like the Jedi are full of crap. They're wrong. Uh, the dark side is the right path. Pain and anger are the right path towards power. Um, but also one of the reasons I'm angry at them is they could have come and got me and saved me from all this. Mm -hmm. But to hold both of those ideas, mm. but to not let that idea of, I'm mad at the Jedi because they could have saved me from all this. Not that let that turn into maybe the dark side is the wrong path and that Maul is so broken, he can't connect that anger for they could have saved me to maybe I could save myself. Maybe I could right. walk away from this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Choices. Yeah. Destiny. Destiny. Yeah. Leading you to choices. <laughs> uh, great Maul stuff. I would be yeah. happy to have uh, more uh, E.K. Johnston. Mm -hmm. takes on Maul. Uh, we already talked about the, he's, he picks out the uh, power generator room is an effort to separate uh, both Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon so he can more easily defeat them. Mm. And uh, wrestling with, um, hey, should I look where that shaft goes? Nah, it's fine. Uh, we already talked about it. Do you have any other new thoughts to add? No, again, I, I'll reiterate, I, I do like, I do like uh, what was put forth in that scene. Um, I just... I, I hate. I don't like the uh, out of character. You know, it's perfectly within the character of Maul to pre-plan. He, he's pretty good at when he comes to running criminal organizations. Though Kira outsmarts him at some point. We hope. Uh, we think. Um, so nice. I liked it overall. Um, just it's a lesson in. Uh, hey, you know, scene starts and you got some expectations. Let the uh, storyteller tell you their story. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, I, and I like that he is a a mix of utter rage and a little bit of precision and you know, what do you know his plan works um it's definitely yeah. one of those like this is really explaining it a lot he meant to do that with the laser gates and it's one of those like maybe it's too much for you maybe it's just right you know maybe you, yeah. you add it to your head cannon maybe you don't because you know what i'm imagining could still happen there's still time i i i think before that fight he's so geeked up uh uh geared up probably the better word there um you know, going to that comic, we talk about his first kill, Padawan. It wasn't even a real Jedi. Like, and he and he's like, gonna, I got a, I got a Jedi. He probably doesn't know Obi Wan's a Padawan, but um, I, I almost see him taking his blade and like scarring himself. You know, just like it's finally my moment. Like, I just see more of that. And but guess what? That could still have taken place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think there is still that like that that anger and that yearning to slaughter them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this is one that got a couple of those uh, articles going around of Star Wars reveals. Uh, <laughs> we get this scene with uh, Yoda and Mace, uh, and Yoda uh -huh. senses a something that is nothing. The way I really interpreted that is the sort of the hole where Palpatine's uh, dark side energy should be, like almost like it is 
there is all these currents in the force swirling around something that isn't there. Uh, almost the way they describe the, uh, hey, there there should be a system here for Camino because all the other things are moving around it like there's something right. there, but there's nothing there. Yeah. Uh, and Yoda senses, I <laughs> uh, almost said, uh, said it in a way I don't want to. Yoda senses the hole where Palpatine should be. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What did you take from that? Did you like that? I actually, I really loved it. It's on page 104. If you want to go back and read it, friends, uh, I thought it's, uh, it's a great sequence and scene. Uh, it reminds me, uh, in, in hearing you talk about it, Joseph, it reminds me of the great Billy Preston song, Nothing from Nothing, Nothing from Nothing Leaves Nothing. You got to have something if you want to be with me, right? There's something <laughs> going on there. And I love just kind of this certainly Yoda-like poetry of, I sense nothing, which means it's got to be something, but there's nothing. So think about it. <laughs> just, <laughs> I love it. I'm making, I'm making a joke and teasing, not making fun, but I like it. I, I, and it's some great May stuff too. No, this is, this is a really a type of scene that it's like, you should almost read it a few times to just kind of see what you want to take from it and what it means. And it's definitely never what those Star Wars revealed articles usually are. No, yeah. It's like Yoda had a chance to sense Palpatine, but he blew it, uh, I yeah. think was the gist of that one. Oh, um, yeah. That's a which, great interpretation. Eh, there, maybe there's an element of that. What yeah. I like is, uh, and we'll get to that, The you know, Qui-Gon is really wanting to prepare for the this trade uh, disputes that are going on in the Senate because mm-hmm. he feels something more is coming there. Even it's the very first, one of the very first lines of dialogue in the Phantom Menace is, you know, Obi-Wan saying, you know, I'm troubled by something elsewhere, elusive. Mm. So I like that we're seeing a lot of our heroes, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Yoda in its more powerful, knowledgeable way, really feeling like the force is moving, something's happening, and it makes it a little bit more of this sort of uh, chess game within the force. And they're just being outplayed by Palpatine, that Palpatine is a master Mm -hmm. at hiding his darkness, but he can't hide the um the the all the events that he's causing he can hide himself right but he can't hide the ripples you know washing out based on his actions yeah i mean it, it just it's to me it's um even though it's fun to kind of look at the scene and, and see what yoda's going through and you know it's just uh the, the dark the dark was a comfortable distance from the limits of his perception all this kind of great stuff it just kind of means exactly what you described uh the darkness is there even though you can't see it and it is in valorum not thinking he can take action it it, it is in um uh, mall interpreting his own pain that that's how it uh, that's how it happens and that's what lucas was trying to say yeah yeah um <laughs> I'm, I'm saying my catchphrase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you take from this interaction with uh, with Mace and Yoda? I liked that in the movies we, we see them as the two, you know, wisest, most experienced members of the council. And we get lots of little scenes where it's just the two of them um, or the two of them with uh, Obi-Wan right. uh, and Anakin. Um, but this is a scene where Yoda's clearly older, more knowledgeable, a little bit more flexible, a little bit more playful, a little bit more playing that like, I will turn every question back on you so you can keep reflecting and growing, Mace. Mm-hmm. And Mace seeming to kind of be mildly annoyed with that. Did you feel like that was a great fresh take on the relationship or what was your reaction? Uh, no, I thought fresh take, but also building on stuff that came before. I also like the Windu's kind of like says to himself, it was starting to feel like a debate with Qui-Gon and neither of them really enjoyed those. Uh, I, I really <laughs> like the, the idea of um, them as to perhaps the two biggest figureheads of the order at this point, right? I mean, that might be fair to say that they're 
they're not always in lockstep, that there could be a little bit of annoying, that, that Yoda knows how to get to them, and that it exposes a little bit of, uh, you know, Mace's fears, you say. Uh, it, it, it makes the character of, of Mace as strong as he is, just uh, even more interesting to me, too. So, no, this, this is a pretty interesting... We're pulling a lot out of just a, about a three-page, three, four-page... Uh, yeah, three-page uh, little section here. It, it, it's which to me tell, uh, tells me it was it was done right. Yeah, I think it, it's really rich if you are like us and love diving into these details. And I think uh, what I like about it is I like scenes where Yoda is being portrayed in a very whole way. That he has all this wisdom, he does have concerns, but he's really trying to follow this Jedi philosophy of like. I am declaring to you what I know to be true now. I know I sent something that is nothing and I don't presume anything else after that. I don't have the answers. I don't know what they are yet and I'll keep looking for them and that's okay. That's like such a great portrait of, well, let go, be flowing yeah. um, and, and don't claim to know something you don't. Just meditate on the thing that you know to be true in front of you at the moment. Mm. And I love in contrast seeing Mace be kind of like, I'm really struggling with that. I'm really struggling with, is there a problem? Should we go take care of it? And being just kind of a little bit more rigid. Because I've been thinking a lot about Mace's really critical choices in Anakin's fall. Not that he chose for Anakin, but right. that really pivotal, what would have happened if Mace said, all right, you told me that Palpatine is this Sith Lord. You're the chosen one. You're supposed to destroy the Sith. I trust you. I believe in you. Come with me. Would it have worked out differently? E.K. Johnston really gets the essence of Mace and in, in, in just what you're describing here. Uh, and I'll read directly again, if I if I may. Uh, there was no point. Please in asking, do. Yeah, if there was no point in asking if Yoda was afraid, because he would only turn the question back. And Windu didn't enjoy that short sort of exposure, exposure to his fears, we, as we know. Continuing, uh, she says uh, she writes, "All he could do was follow his lessons, the ones he, re he received as a boy and given as a knight and a master in the temple." Uh, just to me shows exactly what you're talking about. There, the, uh, he goes to what's supposed to be. He's go goes to what he's taught. Uh, it's not that he doesn't have. I mean, we always joke that Mace all through the prequels is kind of like, I sense everything that's about to happen to us. Anyone else? No. Okay. But even then, he's too <laughs> rigid to think outside the box to act to it, and it does lead to those big questions. We're not blaming Mace at all. I think Mace is overall just one of the most spectacular uh, Jedi's and, and, and Jedi and, and strong and. And powerful in, in so many different ways uh, and and can't be and Yoda represents another side of that and Yoda is more the teacher than Mace right I get the sense Mace probably wasn't the best teacher that's why I didn't go into Jedi college as a professor after all this he went to the field <laughs> and Yoda's going to do more of the teaching so anyways I think she really captures the essence of him and and and, and fires it uh, all back to those big questions you're asking about him and his involvement with Anakin's life it, it's all there in those two sentences for me yeah, yeah. And I like to imagine that somewhere right off this, uh, right right after this, uh, Kiati Mundi is wrong about something. Because that's that's his role in the in the prequels. Often just exactly wrong. The Trade Federation is just trying to increase their production. It's pretty simple. No problems. <laughs> exactly. I really think the Nemodians are large, giving hearts. That's that's what they want there. They want to share. Uh, all right, we're going to move on to Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon scene. Uh, Palpatine's art is uh, dark, yes, but uh, it's an exotic choice for his office. <laughs> he is He's just exercising his demons. It's, it's very good, very very healthy. Um, so Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Yeah. Uh, 
speaking of control, they have a great, uh, well, just to set the scene there, uh, great follow-up on everything that, uh, that Claudia Gray built up in mm-hmm. Master and Apprentice that, uh, Obi-Wan is wanting to do some of the more regular Jedi stuff. He's still a Padawan at, uh, I believe he's should be 25 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Qui-Gon always has him doing something a little bit more, uh, boring <laughs> yep. and he is reading over the tax bills. Uh, in the Jedi archives, Qui-Gon comes in. They end up having a little back and forth about control and uh, having a fun banter that <laughs> control in its in and of itself is not a good or bad thing. It's that Jedi seek to control themselves and their own emotions uh, where politicians use control to uh, get what they want out of others. Uh, what did you think of just that philosophical point, that philosophical back and forth? I I think that tracks uh, well beyond the walls of Star Wars. Um, <laughs> you know, fascinating stuff. I, by the way, I have this vision in my head that uh, Claudia Gray and E.K. Johnston actually just sit in an office decorated with uh, prequel era uh, merchandise and toys and just write these books and just occasionally go, hey, what do you gotcha? I'm picking up on that thread because uh, they're really in concert. I, it's, this this book made me want to reread Leia, Princess of Alderaan, which I, I may do after Shadowfall. So anyways, uh, that said, it ties greatly with Master and Apprentice. It ties greatly with the relationship. And I kind of was, uh, I was uh, not fist pumping, but it was kind of like that Qui-Gon's like, all right, we got some research to do before we go on this mission. Uh, yeah so many great threads of those characters uh bringing up that obi-wan once kind of went against uh qui-gon and it Mm -hmm. didn't work out and they both have come to the point of where they kind of like lightly pushing each other and Mm -hmm. arguing one another's points and kind of trying to uh raise the other's ire is just a part of their uh relationship that they're really used to now and the thing oh this is the thing that i fist pump for more than grain even more than grain mm. or Maul uh, being mad that Jedi didn't come for him is big acknowledgement of Obi-Wan's relationship with Satine mm-hmm. where uh, Obi-Wan says something uh, salty to Qui-Gon about getting involved in a local labor dispute, maybe kind of minimizing some of the concerns that Qui-Gon has about the way people are treated uh, by corporations and stuff. And Qui-Gon throws it back in Obi-Wan's face mm-hmm. saying, Basically, if you're not careful, you also might kickstart unlikely romances with local nobility. <laughs> Ooh, burn. Sick burn, Qui-Gon. It's super fun and interesting. But just, again, as somebody who adores Obi-Wan, adores mm-hmm. that relationship with Satine and what it means, it's, it's such a big deal that what Obi-Wan says in those Clone Wars episodes is, hey, Satine, if you would have asked me I would have walked away from the Jedi Order. And the story is Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Satine are on the run for a year as her life is in danger. And they are falling in love while Qui-Gon's right there. (laughs) So the fact that this would not be kind of a deal between them, that what did Obi-Wan learn from that? Is that, you know, something that Qui-Gon points to often of like, look, everybody has choices and you know you you made a choice and you complicated things and how did that work out for you and what do you think about that and should you be so hard you know quick to judge others when you've been through experiences like this like i I just it's such a big piece of of canon for obi-wan that i love seeing it acknowledged i would also love to see if this would have there's there's a small window but between 
them leaving Tatooine with Anakin and returning to Corson. I would have loved a little sidebar scene where Obi-Wan kind of comes to Qui-Gon and he's like, so uh, let's talk about kickstarting unlikely romances, huh, Qui-Gon? What happened over there? Eh, We know. We know. Yeah. I I sense something. Yeah. Yeah. With with Shmi. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Moving on to these last couple of things. We already talked about uh, Shmi's uh, pain with Anakin, but we get this great little scene, in fact, where we learn that uh, that Qui-Gon's sleeping in the doorway, ready to uh, protect anybody in Anakin and Shmi's home. But uh, Padme is restless. She's uncomfortable in the bed. She's worried. It's hot. Uh, And Shmi and Padme share a, a little moment of bonding while Shmi makes one of my favorite prompts in The Phantom Menace, her basically iPad with horn handles yeah. <laughs> for watching the pod race. A great figure accessory too, right? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that she is actively making that mm-hmm. so she can more closely observe the pod race. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what did you make of this scene of a little bit of bonding between Shmi and, and Padme and, and Shmi's feelings about the pod race? I love when Padme turned to the camera and just said, mother-in-laws, right? Uh, no, I <laughs> really was looking forward to any moment. I did not know a moment was coming, but as you start kind of seeing, all right, this book's going through and what corners can we play in? Shmi and, and Padme, I, I, I think it's a, it's, it's an important scene to have with those two characters. And I would have won more. This is one of those moments when I was really like, gosh, if only this book was a hundred more pages of this kind of interaction with a little more detail, uh, you know, again, uh, understanding the realities of why and the choices to not do that. And, and maybe where you couldn't take the story. Um, anyways, this is where it really worked. I love those two characters con- connecting. They, uh, Shmi is, is part of the emotional center of the prequels in a way, as we always have talked about, especially Phantom Menace. Um, and, and, and obviously the connection and influence on Anakin and, and Anakin fearing to lose both of them. Uh, so it all works. And for them to have this moment, it was just, it was something I relished. It was looking forward to. And when I got it, not a fist pump, but just went like, thanks, EK. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really like it from all those perspectives. And I just generally like the story that, you know, Padme is very much in control. She is the queen. She is the ruler of Naboo. Uh, she is still in control during the Phantom Menace because she is choosing not to sign. She is choosing to go to Coruscant with the Jedi. She chooses to go back to, to uh, Naboo, uh, all those things. But these little moments in this passage of the book show her uh, really wanting to learn yeah. uh, and, and being really proactive. And I like that also, I forgot to write it down, that uh, she feels like she slipped up and, and was insensitive with her mm-hmm. lack of understanding about slavery and the way she was talking about it. Yeah. The, um, gosh, I just was kind of trying to flip to it too, but yeah, um, it's beautifully written too of just, um, Padme realizes she's got her own problems, her own plan and everything, but she'll, she'll, yeah, to your point, then also that she'll always ache for Shmi and her son. It was just, it's oh. beautiful stuff. Yeah, always ache for Shmi and her son. And I love that she later says about Qui-Gon's death that, you know, she never got to discuss with him everything that happened and why she made the choices that she did and why he made the choices he did. And uh, it would always be an open wound that she couldn't have that closure with him, which I just thought was a great, great line to just remember all these things. When you watch Attack the Clones and you ask, why does Padme do this? Why doesn't Padme react to that? To just remember all of these uh, huge relationships and and traumas that she went through in Phantom Menace that would color the way she sees Anakin and uh, and his mother and the Jedi, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
any other uh, sort of uh, canon moments that touch on Phantom Menace characters or uh, that kind of thing? Uh, I'm trying to run, double check my list because I'm sure the moment we stop recording. Oh, and I, I just love the description on uh, page uh, 210. Uh, Newt did not become more impressive the longer he talked. <laughs> it's just <laughs> great. Uh, and then I uh, do want to address uh, page uh, 218. We talked about Palpatine, his art, his love of uh, <laughs> dark oh, art, yeah. Yanta Prime. This is, again, one of my favorite scenes of, of Palpatine now, ever ever unlimited ever um this is a weird moment and you and i talk about palpatine is kind of both a favorite character of ours in a way but also we never like to recast him uh, in a too sympathetic of a light right so this doesn't do that but it goes right up against that wall of just seeing him when the anger's there because he's getting this this dark piece of art he wants to put in his office. He's measuring his office and going, well, I'll have Valorum's office shortly. Uh, and he's just kind of bored because he can't do anything at that moment. He's flipping through his art. This whole scene was just one of the more interesting uh, interesting descriptions of, of, of Sheev more than Sidious or Palpatine I've ever read. And and I'm cl- I, like, I love the legends or not. I love a lot of uh, what Lucino put into Plagueis. That's still one of my favorite Star Wars reading experiences. Um, this this is in line with a lot of just what this character is. And it, it, and it, it just was so simple. Uh, and I, don't, I just want to shout it out. I loved it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this one up because I do absolutely love it. And you're right. It's really pushing toward this idea of, yeah, you know, the Emperor Darth Sidious is, he's, can be this big over-the-top ultimate evil of Star Wars, but he did start as Palpatine and he had to wear the mask of Palpatine and that is that is a human and that has to be creative and he's frustrated that he doesn't have anything to do and basically, you know, I was talking about how he dislikes the sort of the happy, positive, collaborative community celebrating art of Naboo but I love that he likes this statue of, uh, he says, if one knew the history of Yanta Prime and he did, one knew that the deep black surface of the statue absorbed light better than almost any other substance in the galaxy. It was one of his favorite pieces. Mm-hmm. It is both like really real because it's like, hey, that artwork, it me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want that, you know, and yeah. also like kind of deliciously over the top of mm-hmm. the only art I really want in my in my office is. Uh, something that's super evil and little, literally suck up light and other people are too dumb to notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I love because she talks about how, you know, he decorated the rooms with various works of art he picked up on his travels as a young man. You and I talk about tip of the iceberg storytelling. That's 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 an example of that. But I'm f- immediately fascinated by this idea of, again, he is not going around, say, I don't know, like Thrawn. Like, I can study other cultures and my potential enemies or my potential allies through their art and their interests and all those kind of things, which is which is interesting and, and, and something I like. But I don't get the sense that Palpatine's doing that as a young man. <laughs> I think he's no. traveling the galaxy for places of light to shove darkness into and picking up some art pieces he likes along the way. I don't know. It's just... I don't necessarily need the, we always talk about, can we have a Disney Plus series of, uh, you know, uh, Palpatine, uh, young Palpatine, and and, uh, and and let's do that. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I do want that. I do want that. But I want it to be more stuff like this versus, I don't know what other people might expect from it. You know what I mean? Because it's not all over to the top darkness. It's this layer of bad that fuels back into it. Yeah, they're just fuming anger. And then the, the yeah. great twist at the end of that is like, you know what? I think by the time I get it out of storage, I'll have my new office. Yeah. 
You know, and I thought of that line from Phantom Minutes of, I will be Chancellor. Yeah. 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 His plan is working out after all, even yeah. after Padme throwing 800 wrenches in it. He's, mm-hmm. he's still going to pull it out. Yeah. Um, so any other final details, any other just minor beats? We've discussed a lot of our fun things there, but you got anything else? Uh, I mean, there's the, there's the, the Gungan uh, funeral of the fallen warriors. It was, it was described briefly in the sacred place. Uh, there's something intriguing there. I, I'd like a little bit more of the Gungan history and, and the Nubu history. I think it's powerful stuff like we've talked about. So the stuff there. I'm sure there's stuff... Uh, I've forgotten and a sign of a good Star Wars book. I, I start making little notes on my phone, you know, page 33 or read this quote or this and that. And then there's the, always a huge chunk where I just stopped and I just read. And then I, <laughs> towards the end of the book, I go, okay, I, I, I got to make some notes. And, uh, that's, that's, uh, that was this book to a T. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, we, we touched on a lot of the ones, uh, that I like, but just one minor, this is for me, just the joy of sometimes the kind of canon that's just, the galaxy feels enriched because it's just these little nerdy details that are fun to know. Mm. I love that Sabe specifically was, you know, a great musician who always came in second, but that she specifically played the Halleck set, uh, yeah. which is also featured in the Shig Kava band in uh, The Force Awakens. And I just yeah. love those, those kind of little details mm. that if you spend a bunch of time in this world, you're like, oh, I don't have to Google Halleck set. I know what that is. And it's fun and connective. And yeah, yeah. I, I just love it. That's great. That's great. Uh, so as we wrap up our conversation, I want to talk about what is next in the adventures of Padme and or the Handmaidens, uh, what we want to see. Um, and in particular, actually, there is one other little detail I wanted to share, but I wanted to mm-hmm. talk about it here. Okay. There yeah. is a small beat where... Anakin, once he knows that uh, that Sabe is the handmaiden, the decoy uh, for the queen, that he goes up and he asks Sabe's name, which I thought was great to tie together some of those themes of, you know, toward the end there, Sabe has got that uncomfortable makeup on and is, you know, getting frustrated and kind of just wants to be able to be herself for a minute. So it, it plays to that theme. It plays to the, the kindness and the caring of young Anakin, hmm. but it also made me feel like, is this, uh, is this set up for future storytelling with hmm. Anakin and Sabe, you know, being close? Hmm. Yeah. Well, cause that's where, that's where I kind of want to go. And we should acknowledge the Vader comic. Charles, uh, saw is, is so behind the, I think he's the one that's like three issues in. I'll be honest with the, with the lockdown quarantine situation. I've not been able to get my comics on a regular basis and I've just completely lost track, but Sabe shows up with Vader, right? Mm. Um, and it's played as when he first finds her, it's Padme, right? And Padme back from the dead and find out it's, it's Sabe. Uh, and they kind of team up and I have not finished that arc. And I did look it up. Okay. On, I did not, I did look it up on Wikipedia, but it is, it's it 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 tie. I, I, so when this happened, I'm glad you brought it up too. Uh, not only is it is, like you said, uh, the heart of the kid at the time, but um, yeah, that that could be something there, and that that we know, and that's what that's what they kind of end up kind of working together in this comic art because they both want to find. They're both motivated by the same thing: how and, and why did Padme die? Mm. And we know from Queen Shadow that's something that's in in kind of the epilogue there. Um, and then Bail Organa, Queen Shadow, uh, you know, I guess spoilers. <laughs> Oops, Shaq, beep. Um, 
<laughs> you know, Bale kind of interrupts that journey, so to speak, and, and by contacting Sambe, and who knows what that means, you know. Um, so that's some storytelling like to go fill in those blanks. I don't know if you'll ever get a Sabe led book. I don't know if that's good business, but I definitely want it. And I definitely would love EK Johnston to be able to tackle it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, that's the most recent Vader. It's the most line. recent. And, I'm, and like I said, I, I, I have issue one and then it's just been crazy time and I get them and I don't do digital comics right now. Um, I probably should have catch up. I, so I'm just literally long. I'm like, Oh gosh, how far did that go? And I looked it up on Wikipedia this morning and, um, you know, I followed the thread out a little bit, but uh, I'll leave that for those who haven't read it. But, um, yeah, so there's something there. I'm glad you mentioned that. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. No, I, I hadn't even, I, I, yes, we were full spoilers for Queen's Shadow, too. Yeah, it leads off, ends with um, Sabe saying, this is something that's not right with what happened to Padme, and I want to know. And that always felt like a great setup for me for going forward, and it's cool to hear that that might be yeah. followed up on in the comic book in some way. Um, I think for me, since there is such a history of trilogies in Star Wars, uh, Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril are so uh, tied together. I would love to go truly into the heart of the handmaidens that are still around. How are they mm. interacting with Padme during the Clone Wars, during the relationship with Anakin? Um, there's a lot of fun things to play with of... There are definitely some adventures that Padme has in the Clone Wars where there's, you know, there's, there aren't handmaidens around. Um, yeah. But we know from Corday, from Dorme, uh, in Revenge of the Sith, there's Mote in the box uh, with Padme and Bale when the Emperor announces uh, the First Galactic Empire. So various handmaidens are still around and, you know, navigating that Padme during an actual war and during a relationship with Anakin. And I would love that story. Uh, yeah, so that kind of that's kind of my uh, the, the the true answer of this is you know asking what would I like to see advent- next in the adventures of Padme. I think E.K. Johnson is such a good handle on this character that cl- clearly she loved and uh, grew up wondering about. And I would love and and I think maybe even we talked about this we may have talked about this when we talked about Queen Shadow, but go for the biggest challenge. Go for the biggest challenge. Can you dive into the story of Revenge of the Sith and take us to a, a spot that really works around Padme's death and the why and the how? Because I, I can, I can go, I can be down for a, a Palpatine life transfer theory, just like anyone. All right, Darth, Darth Jar Jar could have done something. I'm all there, uh, and I know it's frustrating. I know it's one of those big frustrations for a lot of fans of just like, well, all that and Padme just poof. Gives up the will to live. Uh, I totally understand the criticism of that, maybe the non-acceptance of that, but it's there and it's part of the story. And you and I always talk about engage with the story that's presented to you. Could E.K. Johnston, with her, her her wonderful handle on this character, make any sense in a general way for that moment? I would love to follow her down that path. And Padme during Revenge of the Sith, in and around that story, uh, coming out of the Clone War into that oh, man i hope i hope we get that yeah i think there's a i think there's a good chance that we get something that's certainly in the actual clone wars era and i would i would be really excited by uh revenge of the sith because as much as i do sometimes uh like moments that um touch the movies and other times i'm like ooh, i don't know if i want that uh sort of reinterpreted uh, E.K. Johnston does a great job, knows his character so well, and I agree with you. That's one of the moments that 
I want to know all about that story from Padme's perspective. And, mm-hmm. and E.K. Johnston is a master of that and, and what it means to all of Padme's relationships, not just uh, her relationship with Anakin, but her relationship right. to democracy, to Bail, to the other handmaidens that are still around, to the future of Naboo, to everything that matters mm-hmm. to Padme, to know everything she's thinking and feeling um, in a deeper way would just be absolutely wonderful in that mm. the, her death is one of the most challenging parts of star wars the yeah, i'm always on board with you know uh, question who is saying this i think that droid is an unreliable narrator uh, saying we can't find a medical reason you know she's lost the will to live um and as fans point out like but she she dies with hope the hope has not been extinguished it's her last words that there's good in anakin so it is a great patch of storytelling to be told to really fully celebrate the character of Padme. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Excellent. Well, that is our look at Queen's Peril. Uh, As always, we love diving into all the themes, all the big ideas, all of the juicy uh, canon, and wrestling with some of the parts that may or may not have landed with us uh, this time around. That's a very, very short list, I think, for both of us. Mm -hmm. Ken, uh, do you have any, uh, any final thoughts that you'd like to add? No, I, if you listen this far, I'm assuming you've uh, read the book. Maybe it didn't hit with you as much as uh, as uh, as uh, as us uh, or others out there. I just uh, we we've always talked very highly about this character Padme and what she means to Star Wars and to the character of the story. And I just really uh, really love this book, man. I really do. It's a good series. It like you said earlier, like. I, I have Queen Shadow in my hand right now, too. And I'm like, God, do I have time to read that as well again? Because I just want to take it all in and, and lay a Princess of Alderaan. So uh, thankful this book exists. Yeah, me too. I, I reread the first two chapters of Queen Shadow and I, I might keep going when we're done recording. Uh, but for now, we are going to wrap up. You can support us on lots of different places. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow along with other adventures, you can find us on Twitter at Force Center Pod. Our Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. The podcast is on Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, all sorts of different places where you get podcasts. You can get this one. We have merch up at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. And of course, if you want to uh, support us, you can go to patreon.com slash Force Center. Get access to our Discord where we have a bunch of great fans having great conversations about Star Wars. We're always trying to make new plans and new ideas through uh, the Patreon page. So we will be trying to come up with some new stuff in new ways to celebrate Star Wars with all of you. Ken, where can people find you at your other adventures? Yeah, go to at uh, Ken Knapsack or Morning Drive Media on Twitter as well as M Drive Media. And then KenKnapsack.com where you can click on everything, including the charity tab. You and I have been focusing on, uh, you know, uh, getting some uh, our interests out there outside of Star Wars and where we care, where we put our support. And there's a lot on there too this uh, month, uh, kind of highlighting the Peace Fund, which is recommended by our friend and listener, Kai Thach. Excellent, excellent. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can go to my website, josephscrimshaw.com for my other podcast, Obsess, comedy albums, and eventually someday future comedy <laughs> shows for uh, real world support. This week, I would like to point you to a GoFundMe that is supporting the Navajo Nation in the Hopi Reservation. These are two communities that are being uh, struck hard by the virus, and there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work to help preserve vulnerable communities within the Navajo Nation and the Hopi 
people. So please go check that out. You can go to GoFundMe and uh, Navo in search for Navajo Nation, and it will come right up. Well, that is it for this episode for Padme, for all of the handmaidens, and from uh, us to handmaidens, uh, okay and enthuse. That is it for this episode of Force Center. <laughs>